One, two, ten. Welcome to the Claim the Throne Blodgecast, coming on you with insights into what it's really like to be in a do-it-yourself metal band in 2014. Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Claim Throne Lodgecast. Thanks for tuning in for another week in this uh, podgy. You are hearing from Cabba and Ash from the band Claim the Throne. We just, uh, yeah, talk about our experiences in the music industry and all sorts of other stuff. If you don't know who Claim the Throne are, then you probably wouldn't be listening, but um, we're from Perth, Australia. Folk melodic death metal band. You can check out our stuff at www.claimthethrone.com or claimthethrone.net for the podcast-related website. Find us on uh, Google, YouTube, facebook.com slash claimthethrone, Twitter at ctt underscore au, Instagram slash claimthethrone, and pretty much all sorts of stuff like that. What are we going to be talking about today? Ash, we don't have an interview today, but we have been doing a few recently with all sorts of people, so don't hesitate to go through our back catalogue and, um, yeah, and tune into all sorts of cool Aussie metal legends that we've chatted with in the past. Seeing as Ash is losing his mind a bit at the moment, I don't know what you're doing, mate, but let's go to this week's question of the week. Tell Jim his tip for not drinking while baking his shit out. All I ever do when I bake is drink. Sorry, what was that? Uh, I've been unplugged for the last minute. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, What did you say? You'll have to find out when you listen to the podcast, seeing as you don't have your shit together. No, I I had a bit of a tangle. Oh, yeah. I had the junior jumble and, um, yeah, now it's all fixed. But I did like you a lot laughing and smiling <laughs> and, and gesturing and something about a beer. We are chatting over Skype, me and Ash. Um, but, yeah, I'm drinking also, and even though it is early in the day, but we're having a bit of a cleaning day. So um, there's lots of Jägermeister and beer and cleaning and power metal going on in the house over here. So, unfortunately, we have to stop that for this podcast, but that's all right. It is also early in the day to start whiskey, but I've been on holidays for a couple of days, so... Check this out. All right. It's a pot because I'm going to buy a, a stew. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to make a stew. Stuart McGill. Stuart McGill. Beautiful. We need to um, reply to Amos Polglazer's question uh, okay. about cooking. Which and, was? And, uh, don't drink and bake at the same time. That's what uh, okay. Jim said last time when he walked in on our um, discussion. And that was the tip of the week. Amos Polglaze highly disagrees with that. If you don't know who Amos Polglaze is, um, you can go through our back catalogue and find our interview with him. I think that was uh, episode 13, so have a listen to that one. He puts on a, a bit of a Canadian and American accent. You'd, you could have sworn he, he comes from over there, but no, he's just from our little old isolated Perth, same as us. A top fella, does uh, enjoy baking. Once he gave us bacon-flavoured candy for a Christmas present, nice guy. But, yeah, I don't really know what to say to you today, Amos. I do. I'll tell you this right now. Mm. When we were on tour dude in New Zealand, all over the place they had a campaign going, called Don't Drink and Fry. Oh, yeah, like, that Don't was good. drink and fry, bro, because people were burning down their houses because they get <laughs> super smashed, come home and try and cook probably eggs, and then, <laughs> yeah, they'd leave the pan on all night and burn down their house. Making the bite. So it's a very serious concern. I don't think Jim's that serious about it, but mm. let me tell you, don't drink and fry, bro. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, chuck into Google Images, Don't Drink and Fry. You'll see a few, um, yeah, funny little pictures from that campaign. Very funny. Uh, large... Can we talk about you today and the recording that you've been recently doing? Yes. Tell us about it. Welcome to the fucking Sedge of the Week (laughs) with me, yours truly. You're listening to the Ashley Large Podcast, coming on you from Ashley Large. Spraying on sleet with my Anyway, (laughs) over six months ago, I reckon almost 
getting on a year. I first like was chatting to this awesome new band from Bunbury that we played with called Suffer and Rot. Six, six, six. So they were super keen dudes and played an interesting and still do play an interesting style of old school, as old as it gets, death metal, like classic think just Cannibal Corpse and you've you've got it in one. They had some demos floating around or something and I just said, you guys got any plans to record these, like an EP or something like that? And they were like, oh, you know, yep, we are. We've got our ears out. We're trying to like sussing out guys. And I said, look, I'm just, just finished recording Claim of Thrones seminal album, seminal album, Forged in Flame. And so I said, man, I'd, I'd love to just give it a whirl. So they said yes. And uh, six, eight months later, we booked a date for the studio, Electric City. And have I fucked that up or should I start again? No, that was really good. But it has now begun and you have been doing some tracking over the previous few weeks. To bring you from the start, so we had a few conversations at gigs when we run into each other over, I told them sort of my views on recording and they told me what they wanted to get out. We got a mutual kind of idea going and um, no formal contract or anything like that, but they said, yep, let's go ahead. What would you charge for it? I sort of assessed just, they wanted to do eight songs, so I kind of assessed that and thought, since I'm new to the game realistically, I'll charge you a lump sum, an X amount of dollars to do it. So no hourly rate? No, no hourly rate, lump sum, just for the product, which would be an eight-song album. We decided on a date, which was mid-June, I think it was, and we booked in two days at Electric City Studios. That was based on my previous experience as a drummer, needing two to three days to record, let's say, 11 or 12 songs. So I thought, ah, we can do it in two, trying to keep costs low. Went in there, tracked the drums over the two days and then since then all I've been doing is um, just compiling the takes we did into a compilation of the best the best takes for the best song and we've been going back and forth. So really what's happened to this point is just drums have been put down but what have we learnt from the experience? Um, I would say first of all I didn't get pre-production from those guys until quite late in the piece. Now that's not such a big deal because whatever, what was I going to do? Like learn the music back to front, but it is always handy for things like tempos and just getting familiar with sections and parts and that kind of stuff. So that did present a little bit of a problem just because initially they didn't want to use a click track and then we decided in the studio we would use one. So creating a tempo map became challenging because they've never really done that before. Um, thought before can i say one thing yeah when you're done well uh kerber's tip of the week um seeing as you're at electric city studios with sam allen you can uh go back through our back catalog and listen to an interview we did with him in episode 12 and his great tip that i've um been trying to take on board in terms of pre-production is using Guitar Pro to tab out all your songs before you go into the studio. Mm-hmm. That way everyone can reference how the song is supposed to sound. Um, the tabs are there and you also have your tempo map done via that. Would something like yes. that have been helpful, do you think? So helpful, man. That is a little bit of a tricky undertaking, but at the same time that would have been unbelievable because we got, you know, we got it to work at the end, like as far as, I'm aware we've pretty much wrapped up the editing this morning, probably one or two slight changes, but we're not talking drastic like fixing up of parts or anything. Like All the parts were, for the most part, really well done. It was more the, okay, so the drummer usually plays a bar of six there, whereas the guitars want to play a bar of seven, 
but just conform live to the drummer, that kind of thing. So like you're saying, there's a little bit of a discrepancy between how the song is actually played or supposed to be played, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So, um, and, and even the pre-production that I did get later in the piece when I've been referencing it, this bar was supposed to go for eight beats, then the next bar goes for seven. So I count that out to make sure it's all good on the pre-production and then it comes out as only, let's say, six beats instead of seven. But really it's just because they tracked it live. and There was no click, click track in the end or there was? There was for me, but for the pre-production there was no click track. Mm-hmm. So there's a few parts where it's actually I've just on dry ears. That sounds like if it was me playing drums, I'd cut it there. But um, those guys have some interesting timing stuff going on. So there's a little extension or early cutoffs here and there that, you know, not a big deal at the end of the day, but it's just, it's a lot more clear. It would make the process a lot more clear if we had some clearer pre-production or maybe I had a little bit of time with it. But that's all cool. And honestly, it's not a problem and it um, it hasn't really taken too much extra time. But the thing about offering a lump sum of money is that I'm happy to do it this time because I knew that would be part and parcel with it. But in the future, I would certainly, even if it was in lump sums, like I'll record you for this much, edit you for this much, mix and then master for this much, I would be more like editing will cover compiling the takes and a little bit of adjustment where necessary. What editing won't cover is um, anything beyond that so anything that takes hardcore work um that's i'd I'd charge for in future so i'd i wouldn't necessarily write a contract but there would be some kind of verbal clause there to just say look yeah i can do these changes but it's going to cost you a little bit extra because it will it will take me an extra 10 20 hours of stuff to do but yeah that all depends who you're recording it all depends what you've sort of worked out at the start Mm -hmm. anyway so it went really well and i've got to say man Having spoken to Sam with Electric City, he's an onto it guy. I got him in. I did engineer the session at the end of the day, but we we certainly needed Sam there to help with mic setup and just the running of his studio where where all the inputs are, simple things like how do you get a headphone send out to the live room and if we want to plug in a guitar for a guide track, um, how do we – where's – what is the routing situation, even just what are the preamps numbered, so where are we plugging into and, or, or, you know, where are mics kept? How long did it take to set up the drums, like a day? Okay, so the drums, we had two days. Two, We worked two eight-hour days. So on the first day, we spent, I would say, four hours miking up, setting up and miking up. So that included a bit of tuning, placement, actually setting up the kit, um, choosing the mics, then doing some sound check and, and some EQ, a little bit of compression and stuff like that and getting levels and then dicking around with headphone mixes and and that sort of thing. And then when we decided to do the click track, like we did track a little bit without it, but we felt that it would it would be in everyone's best interest to have it there just as a safety net. So we spent the rest of the day just building clicks and stuff. So we didn't actually track a single hit on the first day, but... Mm-hmm it allowed us to come in fresh on the second day and just smash through the whole thing. So cool. yeah, it, it went really well and we, it was a simple approach and man, they've got a lot of stuff available there and a lot of really good gear, but well, you really need a clear idea of what you want out of the drum kit. For me, up, I, I mean, it's only the, I've only mic'd up a kit a handful of times, but it's nice to be able to convey what I want to get out of the session to Sam, run things by him like 
I want to use these mics for this reason. What do you think? Well, actually, in my experience, this blah, blah, blah. It's just good to have an extra set of ears and uh, a little bit of extra knowledge to help out. And yeah, in that, that's a huge tip as well. Like if you're not 100% sure on how to get what you want out of a session, then yeah, you definitely need some some sort of a mentorship or, or assistant or something like that. So yeah, but at the end of the day, man, it was pretty cruisy. The guys like Damo, the drummer from Suffering Right, had his shit down. He played really well to the click track and I think that sort of kept him in check and it was um, it, it made him a lot less stressed out because the, the tempo element was taken out of the picture. He could just focus on playing the parts. But yeah, where we would have benefited surely is me being more aware of the parts and the major like the major fills and accents. So if he missed them, because I think he did, I won't say he missed them, but if he didn't track parts that, that say the guitarist wanted him to, um, and I wasn't 100% aware of which parts were special, then they didn't get recorded. So some of them from the pre-production that they wanted in there probably won't make it because, I don't know, we'd have to go and retrack the song. So... Okay. Um, yeah, still came out really good. But as always, like we, same thing happened with me and Fortune and Flame. I got to the end of a song and didn't track the last drum beat <laughs> for for Serpent and the Star. The very last drum beat was supposed to be a single kick, really cruisy part. But because I, you know, I was so swamped in and pressed for time, I forgot I forgot to do it. So I actually copied and pasted from an earlier section of the song. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's things like that, just being totally on top of your game, knowing what you want out of the studio. But, hey, it's their first time in the studio and it's my first time in the studio not recording my own songs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, anyway. Cool. Bit of a what um, sort of gear did you use? Can you tell us about that, Ashley? Large? Yes, for sure. Okay, so we used... Dama had a five-piece kit, very basic setup. So kick, snare two rack toms a floor tom he used one china ride hats one splash and two crash cymbals so very very simple run-of-the-mill setup very similar to mine very similar to almost any kit you'd see in this sort of band we used 13 uh 13 channels all together so we had an inside kick mic which was uh audix d6 dynamic mic i'll probably forget half of these but just from memory. Um, then we had an RE20, which is a large diaphragm dynamic as the outside of the kick drum mic. Um, we had Rode NT5 or is it NT55? Is that like the a Rode one, holder? The, it's the one that has two microphones in one in an XY position. So it's a stereo mic. Mm-hmm. So that's a condenser that that's sat directly over the kit. Um, and that's our overheads left and right. And we also had a second set of overheads, a space pair, which were, I think they were Shep's mics. I can't remember. They were condensers as well. Mm-hmm. And they didn't sound good. So we, we ended up bringing them out wide and using them as a stereo room pair. Mm-hmm. We had a, a room mic that was just mono and that's ribbon. Um, I did want to use just a mono room mic because I didn't necessarily want like super directionality some of the bits are fast and uh, I don't know I didn't want to take up too much of the stereo space with with the roominess like I wanted to just blend it in a little bit but it was good having the stereo pair and the mono to choose from there we didn't use a hi-hat mic we used I think an NT5 condenser on the ride cymbal and then a snare drum was SM7 top and bottom, which is pretty crazy. I've never seen that done, never done it myself. But that was cool. Um, and then Tom's were, I think they were Audix D6 
D4s maybe, and maybe the floor tom was different. Anyway, 13 microphones all up. As for preamps, uh, Electric City, you can probably see it, a picture on their site somewhere. They've got a nice rack of mostly UA stuff, universal audio stuff, and a mixture of um, LA610s and um, what else? Anyway, all, all nice modern um, preamps, some pretty vibey with um, a bit of compression, a bit of EQ settings. And there was an Avalon pre in there that we used for the overheads, which was pretty clean and yeah, and a couple of classic API uh, VP312s, which are awesome. I have VP26s and 28s at home and they're super gooey and thick, um, but the 312 is vibey but still a lot cleaner than mine and less compressed sounding. Anyway, so it was a good range of gear. We tracked to Pro Tools, which is handy because I brought in sessions from home that I'd set up or we set up sessions there and I was able to take them home, screw with them on the end of the first night and then bring them in, you know, without any problems arising and I was very familiar with that whole interface. If I had to go and record on Logic or something like that, I'd, I'd need someone there all the time just running Logic for me. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty handy. Wicked. Um, and... Have any guitars or bass been tracked or no? They want the drums done. Okay. So then they can practice along for however long, like a week or something like that. So then when they come in, they can just be familiar. They have tracked as a multi-track before. um, Before? Thought before, but to a click and blah, blah, blah. It's it's really handy. So they're going to be just totally on the money and that'll speed up the tracking process of the next phase quite well. Will bass be first before guitars? Uh, haven't a hundred percent thought that through, but I've asked the question myself. I think patches is a sweet bass player. I think he's going to be cool just to smash it out. But if, if the guys, I don't know if their riffs are a hundred percent, um, like I'm saying with these extra beats here and there, maybe it's a good idea for the guitars to go down first, just to give patches that, you know, so he doesn't have to go back after if the guitarists alter any of the riffs while they're tracking. So yeah, it's nice, a logical process. It sounded like I said illogical. It's a nice logical process um, for them to follow, which is which is really cool and makes it way easier for me, man. Are you excited to see John Ryan in the studio? 110%. He's funny because he gets like, he's a pretty loud, verbose, wild kind of character. But when you start talking to him about tracking vocals, he talks as though he's getting his honeypot ready to go. Yeah. And he's very business, you know, so it's This is be the good. guy that would come off stage and say, um, you know, if he could inject that feeling into his veins, then he would, but unfortunately he's scared of needles. Um, <laughs> and he's also, yeah, the sort of guy that tells you um, his neck doesn't hurt after a set of headbanging. It's just that his neck has a job to do and any pain is irrelevant. That is good. He's Pretty, a good man. Bit of a top cunt. For sure. And it's, yeah, the next bit, like we're putting in the hard yards with the drums to make the next stuff super easy and super quick. And, um, and then, so when it comes around to John, see a lot of the things like with, let's say with the tempos, choosing the tempos, it was cool to have John there because he could say they're like, like 210 beats a minute means nothing to these guys. Right. Um, so they're like, is this good enough? So they'll play a little bit along and then John would sort of like hum along or sing along or whatever and say, yep, that's cool. And so it's all, each thing flows down the line to facilitate the next instrument. And so if the if the vocals are singing too fast, then it, it like loses pop for them. And yeah, even though they haven't really thought about 
specific tempos and stuff, they've really got an idea of what kind of grooves they want. And it's the most interesting tempo maps I've ever made. So often you'll find a band goes, yep, it's 200 beats a minute for this song. Even though this track could possibly be pulled off at 200 beats a minute with Suffer and Rot, um, they might go, we start at 200 and then when we hit the chorus, we're going to we're going to drop it because the chorus is really groovy. We're going to drop it 5 BPM. <laughs> and then in the next bit, they go to triplets. So let's say it completely changes and then it'll drop 10 BPM and then jack up 15. Like it's like, you know, it's it's kind of like a constrained version of that old school. If you tried to tap out the tempo to Knight's Blood by Dissection, you wouldn't be set with one thing because it, it sort of pushes and pulls the whole time. So they really want that natural sort of old school vibe, but in this modern Pro Tools context. Fair enough. Each of their own and, and whatever works with the type of music it is, for sure. But I'm uh, yeah, pretty excited to hear about the progress as it goes along. Yeah. I hope you are. Keep us all posted on that. Be- I will. And it's, man, it's sounding really good. And I am pretty sure at some point we're going to step into Electric City to track some drums for Claim the Throne, for whatever that might be. But it's a nice studio. It's got a nice room. A lot of the right gear that I'd want to be using and um, Sam's an awesome dude. So whether we engineer it ourselves or get him to take care of the business, I'd be happy either way. And um, yeah, I think it's a a healthy plug for Electric City because it's a great place. Well, it might not be too much longer until we do make our way over there. We had a bit of a riding session last week, which was pretty cool fun. Almost like a listening party of everyone's ideas that they've been demoing and stuff thus far. All sounding pretty cool. Some definitely some new ideas, and not the magazine, but some new ideas being <laughs> chucked through. Um, so yeah, expect all sorts of crazy stuff in the next um, Claim of Throne. There's a lot of doom in there, which I'm am very. Um, I forgot what I was saying. I thought before. Just got so slowed down from the word doom that I stopped talking. You know, the end of essence of a scorched earth from Fortune Flame when we were tracking that, it was supposed to be slammy. Uh, yeah. But I made sure to play the drums more like a Doom scenario. One and that's, snare beat every 55 bars. I kind of like screwed it up a little bit, but it sounds, um, I think that's more the terrain of the interesting things we're going to drop into this one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, cool. I'm actually really keen on this whole new writing thing. Yeah, anyway, should we wrap too. up? Yeah, yeah. Up? All good. Um, unless you got any other specific tips or cool stuff you've you've come across no not really the major things that just came out were talk about money talk about their expectations and your expectations Mm -hmm. also pre-production's vital because often people get attached to their pre-production and so it's really handy for your engineer or producer or whatever the hell you're going to call them is on the same page with you and knows what you're trying to get out of it that's even if it's going to end up sounding completely different sonically Um, it's so handy to have an idea of what you want in the first place. At the same time, just remember that whenever you go into the studio, things happen. People often get really attached to pre-production and demos because, I don't know, certain things, a character of a vocal or something like that. I remember uh, certain songs that we've done and I, I actually prefer the demos, even though they're shit quality, to the recorded material because someone their voice was in a particular mood that day or, you know, you just got to kind of detach yourself from that. So, cause it's always going to come out different the second time. Um, I know that feel. And, the spine shank song detached. <laughs> and D have fun. <laughs> Climbing my bone. Album of the week. Album of the week, Ash Large. 
my album of the week literally has changed week to week, which is new for me because I haven't been listening to the most music uh, recently. But I will tell you right now that my album of the week is... Drum roll, please. The band Olva, Natten's Madrigal. You're still listening to Olva, eh? I thought that might have been just a phase, but... Yeah, well, that was their first album, mostly. But this is their, I think it's their third. Mol- yeah. Mulva. <laughs> Mulva. Uh, what about you? What's yours? Morse Principium Est, the album Liberation Equals Termination. Well, Man, it is good, hey. And because um, last week at the festival Rust in Perth, in Perth, um, our colleague Dicey had a Prime Cuts store where he has all sorts of crazy CDs that he's come across. And he had a bunch of um, promo albums that he's got from other labels and things. Uh, and he was just, you know, anyone could take him if you wanted him. So I took a handful of stuff. And, um, yeah, I have listened to them a little bit before, but not that particular album. I've always thought they were pretty awesome, but that one is particularly kick-ass. Um, so do try it. They're um, a melodic death thrash band, a very fast type of one from Finland. They do remind me a little bit of soil work if it was way faster. No clean singing. Um, just really wicked riffs, pretty cool vocals. Um, yeah, very fast. Liberation equals termination. Fucking buy it. Do buy it. Do buy it. Man, I'm going to tell you right now, mm. that description of them makes me want to listen to it. Man, I could not rave about them enough. And it's actually been a while, which an album like that has really got me by the nurries. no gigs coming up but this week we will be announcing one i dare say it will be by monday or tuesday august 16th in perth mark it in your calendar and you'll hear something pretty cool coming up yeah and it's one of those things where um where other bands play gigs and we book spun out experiences some of you (laughs) may have been to um metal cruise that we've done a couple of times um, we do have something very tantalising coming up to announce this week. So keep your eyes peeled on facebook.com at slash claimthrown and claimthrown.com and all the other shit that we said before. And, um, yeah, maybe we'll even have an episode on how to book a gig that's not just a gig. Cool, man. Um, Is that all? I think so. Nothing else for me to add. I can't think of anything. What do we do for Song of the Week? Because I've got a fucking crazy idea, if you're up for it. What did you think of Bang 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 last time? Oh, I loved it. It was, yeah, some really good mixing and mastering on that one. Um, Thanks, to, mate. To remaster, get that sounding tops. If you haven't heard it, our cover of a person named The Strong Boys 19 doing a song called Bang Bang Bang. Previous episode, download now and listen. As for this week, as I was talking about Guitar Pro a bit before, my tip of the week, <laughs> put your songs in Guitar Pro. And also, it's... Particularly beneficial if um, if you do have to teach other people your song. Uh, maybe you need a fill-in bassist or a fill-in guitarist for some certain gigs. If you have all the files just sitting there of your tracks, flick it over to them and they can learn it um, easy peasy. Uh, another awesome thing, which we did once, um, was on the Ale Tales EP, all of those songs were tracked onto Guitar Pro. And if you download that disc from our Bandcamp page for the mere price of about five bucks, or maybe a little bit more, I can't remember, you do get free download of all of the tabs for every song on that EP. So don't mess around, go and get that now. Um, but yeah, it gives you another another sort of promo option, I guess, of um, you know added extras and 
you know, giving people reasons to pay for your download rather than getting it free from torrents. Um, but anyway, what I'm getting at is as we're writing new songs now, I would really love to tab every single one as we go, um, which means you have the, the guitar profile for everyone in the band so there's no excuses not to learn it or whatever. Um, and, yeah, you can get really tight and solid and know everything before you do go into recording and before you go to the jam room. I've done one song on Guitar Pro thus far for our new songs. What would you think of Song of the Week being a MIDI version of that? Re- yeah, man, for sure. Is and that then we can, fucking weird? Maybe, but what I think is good about it is at least you can see the progression. I agree, and it's a reward to uh, people that do tune into the podcast. You'll hear crazy stuff on here that you would not hear anywhere else on, online. So do try it. Um, this. <laughs> is that what you've been doing? You are one weird cunt. It's Pussy19. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll be back again next week, hopefully, with another episode for you. Should be, hopefully, be some interviews coming up again very soon. If you have anything you want to add, um, like our friend Amos Polglaze today recorded a question, you can do that via SpeakPipe. That's on claimthethrone.net. Hover your mouse over the right-hand side. Record a question. No one will get teased unless you're Amos Polglaze. It's all just a bit of fun, so help us... Um, get some life into this podgy and if you are still listening cheers heaps for being part of it appreciate it and you'll hear from us fucking soon that's all from cabba goodbye ash lock 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 all right lock out See well. you, mate. Uh... <laughs>